Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Hope you're well. We have a guest that I hope you find as interesting as I do. This is, to me, next level information, next level approach to data. We have David Allison, the founder of the Value Graphics Project. How's it going? I'm doing great. Nice place you have here. Thanks for having me over. (laughs) (laughs) I think last time the room I saw you in, you had a really interesting lamp that looked like a gold M16 with a giant shade on it. That oh yeah yeah that's just behind my this is just like a fake backdrop so that people oh. are staring at my uh my bookcase and i think that's like i'm always like are people paying attention to me are they looking at like like you you've got all that cool stuff back there and last time we talked you and i i was like what's that thing what's that thing and so <laughs> i just put this up so that people are like paying attention to me that's what i want to pay attention to it is a cool lamp so i was actually looking forward to seeing it <laughs> Not that i didn't <laughs> want to see you but i was like that's a really cool lamp so I could try to explain value graphics and the value graphics project, but you obviously are going to do a way better job than me. So if you want to explain how people can connect with you with the project and then what value graphics is, that would be fantastic. Let me start by saying that right now, people are probably pretty familiar with the terms demographics and maybe the terms psychographics. These are two of the tools that we use to try and understand our target audiences, no matter what it is we're doing in life. We're building hotels, we're building restaurants, we're doing hospitality, we're, I don't care, you're making shoes, you're teacups. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. You sit down in a room and you say to yourself, who are we making this for? You identify a target audience. And the tools we use to do that are demographics, which describe, we all know what demographics are, age, gender, income, marital status, all that kind of stuff. And psychographics, which is my definition, the one I like is how people have behaved before around a particular thing. So psychographics in the hospitality industry around a new restaurant might be how often do these people eat out and what kind of how much money do they spend? And are they looking for casual or like this is all stuff that we know about a particular group of people once we've defined them demographically, how have they behaved around a new restaurant concept? So it's demographics and psychographics. The problem with this, and it's a huge problem. Trillions of dollars are spent based on those two kinds of information. And neither one of those things tells us anything about how people will behave next, which is what we're all trying to figure out. We want them to do something we would like them to do. In fact, I always start with this slide to just sort of get everybody's head in that same place that it doesn't matter who you are. If you're selling hot dogs out of a stand on a busy street full of bars at night, or you are the Pope, You're just trying to get people to do something. That's what we all wake up and try and do every single day. So I want to tell you a story. It's called Three Friends in an Alley at Midnight. So three friends are out at a bar. It's a wonderful new hospitality concept that your group put together. That's what this bar is. They've been out having the time of their lives because you guys have done such an amazing job creating an alarmingly good environment for them. They haven't seen each other for a little while because COVID. And so suddenly they get to drink. And so these three buddies are out having a really great time. It's around midnight. They decide to call it. They got to get home. And so they decide to leave. So they're walking down the street and they're being noisy and loud. You know, that thing that happens when people leave a bar and suddenly they feel like they have to talk louder and they're like punching each other on the shoulder and have, they're doing that. They're being those guys. They're walking down the street and then they turn a corner and there's a dark alley and they have to decide what they're going to do. Now, friend number one 
The only thing we know about friend number one is the most important thing in, their, in this person's life is adventure. And so immediately they say, oh my God, I, the best thing we could do is go down this alley. Who knows what's down this alley? It's going to be amazing. It'll be so much fun. What a great way to end the evening. I'm, we're drunk. I love you guys. Let's go down the alley. And friend number two, the only thing we know for sure is friend number two's most important thing in their life is safety. Says, oh my God, we're drunk. I love you guys. Why would we go down that alley? Let's get the hell out of here. Let's go back to the bar and like call somebody on our phone and turn on the lights and like safety and numbers. Let's get out of here. And friend number three, the only thing we know for certain is their primary value in life is friendship. I don't care. We can go down the alley, go back to the bar. It doesn't matter as long as we stick together because I love you guys. We're drunk. Let's stay together. That's what matters. So here's three friends. They've all, they have something in common with each other because they're hanging out. They're buddies. So demographically and psychographically, they're probably pretty similar to each other. But none of them had to check that stuff to see how they were going to respond. They didn't go, hmm, well, wait a minute. I'm a male and I'm between ages 18 to 24 and I'm married and I make $50,000 a year and I have an MBA. So my response to this situation is to do this. All they had to do is say, well, and this, they're not even doing this. It's just their brain is doing this. It just says, what do I care about? How am I going to respond? What I care about is adventure. Let's go. Or safety. Let's run. Or friendship. Let's hug. That's the only things that we use as humans to determine our next step, what our behaviors are going to be. Now, this isn't just me and my funny little story. You can look at human behavior science for the last, for decades and decades now, and sociologists, neuroscientists, psychologists, psychiatrists, I mean, there's all kinds of other fields of behavioral science, and they're all studying why people do stuff and various ways. They come at it either biologically or about your brain or about how groups decide to make things. And all of the different scientists in all these different fields have agreed for a very long time now, it's been studied to death, that the only thing that matters when you're trying to understand how people make decisions is their values. If you know what people care about, you know how they're going to react to everything. So that's cool. That's an established scientific fact. But what we haven't had is a way to apply that thinking to an entire target audience and say, okay, cool. Demographically, we know who we're talking to psychographically, we know who we're talking to, but what do these people care about? What are their values? Because that's how they're going to decide to do something. And guess what? We're all here trying to get some people to do something we'd like them to do. So the Value Graphics Project, we went around the world and we've done close to 600,000 surveys now in 180 countries and 152 languages. And we've mapped what everybody on earth cares about. And it's the first time it's been done. So we now can tell you for any product, service, or brand anywhere on earth, Berlin versus Beijing, what do those people who are going to buy this teacup care about? So when you're trying to sell them that teacup, you can say, cool, I know how old you are. I know your gender, and I know how many teacups you already own. And more importantly, I know that the environment's the most important thing in your life. So I'm going to sell you a teacup that has something to do with saving the planet, now, the nice thing when we started doing this work and building this database is we found there's only 56 core human values. There's only 56 possible things that could be triggering people to do the things they're going to do. So that's not much. I mean, you think about the geneticists who've got uh, 3 billion things or 3 million different component parts they got to use to figure out what's going to make someone a blonde or a redhead, right? We only got 56, and that's going to tell us what your operating system is as a human. And if we could figure out which of those 56 an entire target audience has in common, which three or four or five they all agree on, now you know what to talk to them about and get them to do the things you want them to do. So that's what value graphics is. 
You still need demographics to describe your target audience. Psychographics is a record of how they have behaved, but value graphics tell you how to engage them, how to get them to do something new or try your new bar, your new restaurant, your new hotel, your new hotel. So I got some data for you about a, a brand, about a hotel that I know, David, that you're a big fan of and that I'm a big fan of as well. And uh, we can dive into that, but maybe I'll just take a breath uh, <laughs> and see if you have any questions before we go any further. Well, I'm sure the audience is already curious if they're out of those 56 values, if globally there are like a top 10 that they might switch rank here or there, but if there's like top 10 that are common across the globe. Yeah, there are. And in fact, one of the charts I'm going to show you in a moment shows you the world, the, the top 10 values for the world. My book that's going to be coming out in uh, first quarter next year, we've published in there the rankings for uh, nine different regions of the world. So those 180 countries we've profiled, they fit into nine regions. So like Europe, Asia, Africa, you can, you know, they go. I have to tell you what the names of the continents are, you know that. And uh, for each one of them, we, are, we take those 56 values and we rank them for the people within that, within that part of the world. And there's two cool things that came out of that. One, there's only 56 values. We're all pretty similar. We're all a little bit more similar than perhaps many people in the world would like to believe. Even more so, the ones that appear in the top 10 or so, they're even more similar. Uh, there's a, a, the odd place in the world where there's something kooky that pops up that we don't see in other parts of the world, but it's pretty rare. Uh, you're right. They combine and recombine in different rankings and also the importance of each one. So it's fine to say family is important around the world, but it's in some parts of the world, it's a little less important, a little bit more important. So it's not just that it's the number one or two, but how important is it to have earned that spot in that part of the world? So I'll show you what I mean in a moment, but I want to just make a point here. The reason this slides up is we work with clients and do these really super precise value graphic profiles. And so we get to within like plus or minus 3.5% and 15% with, a, with, a, with an amazing confidence level that is more than you need for a PhD from Harvard. Now, what I'm going to show you is an excerpt from my new book. And this is the results from using the little quiz that we're including in the book. So this isn't the super hardcore, you know, playing the symphony, uh, 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 you know, you're not Mozart at Carnegie Hall, like it's, but this is the results you'd get if you just use the little quiz in the book and you're able to identify an archetype that your target audience is similar to. There's 15 archetypes that encompass the world. And for this brand, this hotel brand we're going to look at, where we've identified which archetype they're most similar to, and then we'll take a little look at that data. But I just want to make the point, this is like playing the piano with your fists. Like it's not super accurate. It's not pretty, but you're at least playing the value graphic piano and not using demographic stereotypes to try and understand your target audience. So the brand is Edition Hotels and Edition Hotels specifically, we thought we'd try and understand their best customers, their business travelers who stay in, uh, in Edition Hotels. They've stayed in an Edition Hotel in the past six months and are extremely likely to do so again Business travelers for most hotel brands, particularly at this end of the price point spectrum, that's the bread and butter, right? You want to keep the business travelers coming because they're not spending their own money. They're spending someone else's money and they're happy to come and stay at your hotel and they want all the little extras and they're happy to be comfortable. So you run them through. We ran 120 people who fit this category through our little quiz. Now, it was sort of like we're setting up a, a, a fictitious situation here. In the book, I refer to myself as the PVP of marketing which is the pretend vice president of marketing for addition hotels in Europe. And I figured that I, as the PVP of marketing, 
would have access to the database and I'd be able to grab 100 people or so and get them to respond to this little quiz. So that's what we did. We found 100 people who fit this description as the PVP of marketing. We gave them the quiz and came back that what a surprise of the 15 different archetypes that are out there, workaholics scored as the most important one for this particular, uh, this particular audience. And in fact, 46% of this audience fit into that category of workaholics. Now, we know a lot of really cool stuff about workaholics. Uh, workaholics. Alcoholics, some of them are probably alcoholics, but workaholics. So this is a chart that shows the workaholics archetype which is one of the 15 biggest tribes of people if you organize them by values compared to everybody else in the world. So this is what workaholics look like if we compare to them to the global population. So the global populations in teal, you can see that financial security is far less important than it is to the workaholics. It's a really big importance. The number one most important thing to the workaholics, in fact, is their financial security. So even if we just stop right there and say, isn't that interesting? As a tribe, we see financial security is off the charts compared to the rest of the world. You're starting to understand what makes workaholics tick. Maybe that's where the aholic part comes from. They're, they're worried about financial security. So they're going to put in those 80 hours a week. Personal responsibility is about wanting to get stuff done. I want to move things forward. I want to move the needle. I've got a to-do list. Come on, boys, let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's move forward and get stuff accomplished personal growth. I want to be a better version of myself tomorrow than I am today. So I don't need to keep going down the list here. Uh, even just those three, you're starting to get a sense of folks who are focused on their finances and you know maybe having some of the nicer things in life. They want to feel like they're the one who's moving the needle forward and they want to be a better version of themselves in all kinds of ways tomorrow than they are, than they are today. I'll, I'll talk through one more because look where family lies. Family around the world tends to be the most important value. And here it's number four. After financial security, personal responsibility, and personal growth, then my family. So that's kind of interesting. And we all know this guy or gal. We've, we've met this person. And this is one of the 15 archetypes. Now, if we drill down, because remember, I'm the PVP of addition hotels in Europe. What do workaholics look like compared to the people in Europe? So that's what this chart is all about. So this is now saying for the, for the top 10 values, plus the ones in blue are the togetherness values. That's like things like family, belonging, relationships, community, friendships, stuff like that. Plus the other 10 that don't fit into that category of being a togetherness value. So I've just randomly chosen a few here that are really dominant for the workaholics compared to the region of the world that I'm the PVP for. So we have financial security, personal responsibility, personal growth, material possessions, and social standing. What do other people think about me? How am I seen uh, by my peer group? And it kind of leaves us with this list. So let's go back to where we started. And then I want to ask you some, turn the tables here. I'm going to be the podcast host and you're going you're gonna right. to dance. So if you only knew the demographics and the psychographics of the target audience as business travelers for addition hotels in Europe, you'd do things like, wow, gee, I want these guys to come back over and over. We should have a rewards program. And there's probably a business lounge with free pastry because what business guy doesn't like pastry and uh, maybe some drinks. And hopefully if we put them in that business lounge with our loyalty program, they'll be like, wow, I feel like a rock star. I'm going to keep coming back to this hotel. Now compared that to what they're actually looking for, they want things they will chase things because we're psychologically, neurologically, and sociologically hardwired as humans to chase the stuff we care about and value. 
So if they care about and value financial security, personal responsibility, personal growth, material possessions, and social standing, what could we do as joint PVPs of marketing for addition hotels in Europe using that as kind of a North Star? What do you think we could do? To increase the stays and the, for repeat visits? Yeah, let's keep these guys. Let's make sure they never go to another, another, uh, another hotel ever again in the rest, for the rest of their lives. What do we have to do to make us their number one choice? That would be custom experiences, personal experiences. They have to be treated as the VIPs they see themselves as. How can so we do that though and, and trigger personal growth? How can we, what can we do that makes them feel like they're going to be a better version of themselves while we're making them that rock star guy? It's actually interesting for hotels because I never really thought about a hotel as a place I can achieve personal growth other than doing the job that got me into that fancy hotel. So here's a, here's a thought. Um, this is now I don't know much about hotels. I'm a bit of a hotel junkie. I enjoy a good hotel. I love the addition brand. That's why we're picking on them today because I was dead curious to see what kind of values we'd find for this group. I'm a big fan of the Masterclass series that you can subscribe to. So what if you were a VIP traveler and you earned a certain level of you know prestige within the addition system? In your room, you have a free Masterclass subscription on Netflix that is paid for. So instead of sitting around watching like bad movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger jumping off a building or something, you can sit there and have, you know, Steven Spielberg teach you how to make better videos for your company or um, learn how to write or whatever it is, whatever kind of personal growth you might find interesting from the masterclass lineup. So you're going to, it's a, a thing that someone like, you know, Marriott, who owns Edition, could easily go to the masterclass organization and say, you know, yeah, we're going to put this in all of our rooms for our VIPs. But how about doing a couple special ones just for us, where the only place you can get it is if you're one of our VIPs staying in one of our rooms. So maybe, you know, Ian Schrager, who's behind the Edition brand, does a masterclass on uh, aesthetics as a, as, a, as a branding and marketing tool. Who wouldn't want to see that? I mean, anybody staying in an addition hotel has obviously got some kind of aesthetic sensibility. They're paying a premium to be in these beautiful, beautiful spaces made by amazing architects and great interiors people. And I'd love to hear what Ian Schrager has to say about how that's helped the brand. And if masterclasses would put that together for me and throw that up as the PVP of marketing into my, into my mix, now I got something that it's kind of a material possession almost. Like I got to it's almost, I got a private lesson from Schrager uh, because I'm loyal to and a, and, and, and a VIP with uh, this particular brand. That gives me a good story to tell at uh, my next party or, or a corporate event, which boosts, guess what? My social standing. So with just that one decision, instead of it being about pastries and free alcohol, we're going to give you a personalized lecture. Maybe Schrager will even like for our platinum, double, triple diamond guests. There's 10 of them in the world who spend $10 million a year on our brand. Schrager does a one-on-one -on -one through the masterclass organization with those guys. Wow. I mean, who needs another free hotel night? I, I don't even pay for them in the first place. I don't care if I get free hotel rights, but you're going to give me a chance. If I get to double, triple platinum princess level, I get to have a one-on-one -on -one with Schrager about hotel design? I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere else because I want that. Hi there, just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. 
If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. That's the way you're thinking. There are, there are hotels that they have excellent cocktail programs and they'll, they'll invite guests to spend an hour with their mixologist and they'll show them some really great cocktails and give them trivia. So this is a complete elevation and you're definitely going to have loyalty and you're going to have much bigger spends. And like you said, it's not always their money. So what do they care if it costs a certain amount to get to the status to get these types of masterclasses? Yeah, uh, I like it. it. Helps me personally grow. Um, how do we tie personal responsibility into this? They want to get stuff done and move things forward. So maybe the focus of this fictitious masterclass with Schrager for the double, triple, platinum, princess level folks is it's it's more of a workshop on how to be the champion of good design and aesthetics within your organization. So that I'm going to teach you how to apply these principles and be the guy who can be responsible for implementing them at your organization. So it's a, now I've got an opportunity to do something with this and be the guy who drives this forward. It's not just learning for the sake of learning. And that's got to improve things in terms of my financial security. My boss is going to love this. Hey, Mr. CEO, Schrager told me that we should be doing stuff like this and this. Uh, and I'm prepared to implement this. Here's the plan I put together. We hit all five of those with just one idea. Um, now, if you had a whole team of really smart people who weren't PVPs at edition, they were actually EVPs and SVPs at edition sitting around saying, based on what they actually know and some more precise data, not just the archetype about specifically edition hotel guests. Imagine what you could do with this that you would never be able to do if all you knew was the demographics and the psychographics. That's the big point. You could really, with, like you said, going beyond the archetype, then you could actually drill down to exactly which masterclasses you would most likely need to target. So that's... Yeah, yeah absolutely. Love it. Yeah, it's a, it all becomes super clear once you manage to shake free of that whole demographic way of looking at things. Let me give you a couple stats on that. They just blow your mind. So we got these 600,000 surveys we've done around the world now. And as I mentioned, they're more accurate in total as a data set, more accurate than you need for a PhD from Harvard. One of the side effects of collecting all of this data is we've, we've built it in a way that's referred to as a random stratified statistically representative sample of the population, which basically just means we have exactly the same number proportionately of men, women, rich, poor, young, old, you know, every, every way you can slice and dice the, the world demographically, we've built like our own mini Lego model of the, of the world. So we can just go in there and look at millennials or just baby boomers and figure out how often they agree with each other. How similar are they? How cohesive are millennials, let's say, as a target audience? Because we've just spent a couple billion dollars, a trillion dollars, I'm going to guess, over the last little while targeting millennials because we think there's some kind of, I don't know, mythical unicorn in the enchanted forest. We'd never met anything like a millennial before. Now we're doing it with the poor Gen Zs. So let's stick on millennials. Millennials on the 436 different metrics in our database, more accurate than you need for a PhD, they agree with each other on anything 16 
percent of the time around the world. So you do the math on that and say that means 84% of the time they disagree on everything. So if you're going to target millennials, you're going to be 84% wrong. The best you can hope for is getting it right 16% of the time. So you spend a buck targeting millennials. If you do everything perfect, you're going to get a 16% ROI, 16 cents on the dollar. So nobody's spending a buck. They're spending a million bucks and they're going to get $160,000 on their million. And you pull that up to a billion and to a trillion, you start to see the amount of waste that's involved in using demographics to try and understand the world around us. Instead of talking to an archetype or better yet, a very specific custom data set for a particular brand, and we can get the similarity, the cohesion in those groups. We've seen them score up in the 80s. So you get an 80 cent dollar to spend instead of a 16 cent dollar. And all you've had to do is look at the world a little differently. You didn't have to buy a machine. You don't have to train everybody. You just have to change the way you look at the world. And suddenly, you'll be so much more efficient. I just love that they can't agree, apparently, more than 15% of the time on anything. And I do see all the marketing dollars going to supposedly get millennials and Gen Z, and it looks like they're flailing then, really, is is what's happening. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, beyond marketing, I like to talk about this being from marketers and creators, because you're sitting down when you like when when your firm's thinking about what's the new concept we're going to chase for a particular uh, space that we've been employed to think about. You're pulling in as much information as you can about the audience. And I bet you uh, a whole lot of that is based on age, income, gender, marital status, and all the assumptions that come along with those things that men who are single and 24 and college graduates, they're going to like this. Yeah, we get that a lot. They tell us who the bourbon drinkers are and it does make me laugh when they say it's, you know, the 21 to 34 year old single males when the actual numbers support that women are more interested in whiskey and the nuances. And it's not a particular group. It's essentially all women who like alcoholic beverages they're interested in learning about whiskey because there's so many different flavor profiles and it interests them. But if you open a craft cocktail bar, a lot of people are trying to go for the 21 to 35 year old single male. But, but there's the, there, that's the sentence. Like they're trying to go for those guys and that's cool. So let's say that's a target audience. I want, I want people who are interested in understanding the nuances of whiskey. What we'd find if we went and profiled that group of people in a particular, let's say within a particular trading area in uh, let's just say Boston. So in Boston, people who are interested in understanding the nuances of whiskey. Well, there's gonna be some people who don't drink, so that's fine. We, what we would do, the way our methodology works is we would go and find 1,800 and 2,000, something like that people who fit that description because that's how many you need to be statistically accurate. We ask them a few questions and those questions tell us where to go look in our massive 600,000 person database to pull out all the lookalike data. And what we'd find is that across that whole audience, regardless of age or gender, there's going to be a group of people who are super keenly interested in this. And it has nothing to do with whether they're male or female or young or old. The only qualifications that will matter is that they have to be interested in the nuances of whiskey. And if you do that, then you'll find out that, you know, we've been, here's a way to think about it. If we think about our target audiences as a loaf of bread, we've been slicing the bread like this and going, men, 18, 24, 
$50,000 a year. Da, 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 and then we, we pick out the slices we want and we go, there's our target audience. Instead, if we slice the bread this way, we'll find that there's a thread that cuts through all those demographics of things that people care about and that their values match. And guess what else we'll find? That loaf of bread is actually a baguette. It's way bigger. If you go this way, it's way that that audience is way bigger than you think it is. If you just stop delimiting it based on demographic categories, just say, I don't care who comes in here. If they're 70 and they're into whiskey and they want to buy and understand what's going on, bring it on. So if you go this way, you have a bigger audience and they're all united around the thing or the things that you know trigger people who have those particular interests. And that archetype will most likely include a value for experiences. Yeah, uh, that's experience. what they're after. Yeah, yeah. So okay. here's here's where it becomes interesting. So yes, experiences will probably play high, but let's just look at these ones. I could make the argument that there's probably going to be some social standing people in that group, and where that will come from is people who want to be able to know more than the next guy the next time they go out for whiskey. I want to be the smart one who knows the difference between one flavor profile and another. And you can throw the terminology around and impress the bartender because I can order the thing the way, you know, branch water, please, on the side. People are like, what? What's branch water? That's all I know about whiskey is that one term. So that was it. In terms of impressing you around whiskey knowledge, that's the only thing I can pull out. But yeah, I think, I think it, we always are shocked when we look at the profiles we get for specific clients that we work with, and boy, we've worked all over. I mean, United Nations, we've worked with uh, big luxury brands, we work with Wall Street hedge funds. So it doesn't really matter who we're looking at or what the audience is that we're profiling. We're always kind of taken aback because the stuff that people care about is rarely directly related to the stuff that we've profiled them around. I mean, if you asked Edition Hotels, to tell me what you think your target audience of business travelers care about. I don't think there's any chance any of them would have come up with personal growth. No, I didn't when you, yeah. and, I, and I saw that it was on there and I still didn't think, I did not correlate addition hotels to personal growth because I wouldn't correlate that with any hotel because I'm like, well, that has nothing to do with me staying there. Exactly. So yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating stuff. We've had a lot of fun learning all these things about all these different target audiences and you know, lots of fun stuff yet to come. Well, and I've seen some of your data and you do like to have fun in general with the project because I've seen some of your, your titles for some of the different groups, like uh, the, the brand diva, or I, I forget all of them, but they're all very fun. Yeah. And that I think was other a... people yeah, would have stuck with them. I just, I was blown away and I didn't remember all of them. You, <laughs> you didn't say that you yourself don't want to get bored. So you like to come up with cool titles that are engaging with the with the data that you see. So well, part of it is we're forced to because you know with a database this size, we never know what's like. It's not like there's only a hundred possible profiles. There's hundreds of thousands of profiles that could come out of this thing, and we got to come up with a name all the time. So you're talking about the stuff from the restaurant report that you and I had a little look at yeah. last time we talked and. We had names like the, um, the workaholic brand eaters, which is a segment of people who go to restaurants very, very often, but they really don't care about the restaurant. All they care about is what the restaurant says about them. They're eating the brand. They, they want to bask in the glory of the brand based on who they're with. Date night brand is a different thing based than buddy drinking, than corporate lunch, than they choose it entirely based on the brand. And there's another group called the um, 
super social debt divas. We all know these folks. Uh, they just want to go where the crowd, where the hot crowd is, and they're in debt, but they don't care because it's more important that they're in the right spot with the right people. Uh, yeah, visiting because, Vegas right now, they're at the yeah. pool parties this yeah, exactly. very moment. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then the, the best ones, I think, from a restaurateur's perspective, I guess depends on what kind of restaurant you are, was the, the contented loyalists. They're the ones who have their favorite table and their favorite seat at the table and their favorite item on them. And they come every single day. They don't want anything to change. And they're perfectly happy with everything exactly the way it is. They just want you to remember their name and bring them their asparagus, just the right crispiness. And that's all they care about. So within each of those three groups, we have then the values for them so that you know what they're listening for. And if you want to target that kind of restaurant person, you chase those values. And this other kind, you chase those values. I do wonder, so... Throwing this right at you, this is not really fair, probably it's on the spot, but I have a, I used to have a cocktail bar that I always went to because one of my favorite bartenders worked there. And I don't know what kind of loyalist it makes me because I really only went there because he was there. I, I did like the ambiance, but I mean, I had to go to a major casino, which for a local to go that often, it doesn't happen that often. But I didn't want the menu to not change because I would just throw moods or a single ingredient or a flavor profile at him and he would make me a bespoke cocktail and so I don't know what exactly that makes me I'm a, some kind of diva I'm sure because <laughs> I'm sitting there slowing the bar down because I want my special drink that's off menu uh, I did like a couple of the cocktails that I would start with and then I would just start trying to challenge him well, I mean, just based on that description, I'd say that if we were to profile you as uh, using the value graphics methodology, we'd see a streak of adventure, uh, of experiences for sure, because one of the things, and, and loyalty. So one of the things that kept you loyal was knowing that when you went back, you could have a different experience every time. The experiential folks come in a few different flavors. The people for whom experiences is a really important value. There's the ones who like the same experience over and over and over again and the ones who always want an experience to be different. So think about the person who's into yoga. They always go to the same yoga teacher's class and they want the same mat in the same corner versus the other guy who goes to yoga, who's like bopping around for every yoga studio in town, just like, let's go try this one. We'll try that instructor. And they're just all over the place. And now let's try Pilates. And so two different kinds of approaches to the same thing, but your loyalty streak kept you going back to a particular spot to get your unique adventures on a repeat basis. So we would call you a unique, uh, a repeat, unique adventuring loyalist. And that's what I would get uh, from my statistician. And then my job would be to come up with a, um, a kooky name that everyone else can remember. So now when I see that profile, I'm going to call them the David Klemst. That's uh, yeah, that's going to be, that's what we're going to call those guys. Yeah. So I know I only have you for a few more minutes. Is there another slide you want to show me? And we are going to have you on Again, we've already discussed that because you, the amount of information you have and how it can help restaurateurs, hoteliers, bar owners, we can't encompass this in one podcast. It's impossible. Well, I, I can't wait to come back and talk about the study we've done on frequent restaurant guests because I think the restaurant okay. industry right now is um, going through a big reboot and a restart. And you got two choices. You can think about things the way you always have and hope the world hasn't changed too much and that everything will go back to the way it was where you can realize that people have been sitting at home for two years thinking about what's important to them and figure out what it is that they've decided what is important to them and then use that as a way to rebuild 
and rebuild better. So I'd love to share that data. And then the other report we're going to talk about at some point is we have a similar one we did, did on uh, frequent hotel guests. How do we get heads uh, in beds back with a, with a vengeance? And the same thing. I mean, you just open the door and hope nothing's changed or realize the world's gone through something fairly significant in the last little while. And I think the world has changed in all kinds of ways that have to do with what we care about and what's important. And that's what we measure. So yeah, can't wait to do that. In the meantime, people want to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find there. Valuegraphics.com is a website. We keep posting free reports on various industries up on the blog. And I believe if you go to the report section, both the restaurant data and the hotel data is there as a free downloadable report. What we'll do when we get together and talk about it is we'll rip it apart and figure out how to use it and put it into practice and, and, and uh, put some life behind the color commentary behind the data. But in the meantime, somebody wants to go get the data, go grab it. Uh, do that. It's, uh, it's there for the asking. You know, we, when this whole pandemic started, saw companies refitting themselves and starting to make uh, gloves and masks and sanitizer and PPE. And we, we, we can't do that. We're, we're a data company. So our way of helping was we started funding all of these studies on various sectors of the economy and saying, here, here's what you need. Just like giving it away, just throwing it up there. So if even one restaurateur or uh, hotelier is watching today and ends up grabbing that data and it helps in even just a little bit of a proving the way they think about their target audiences and I'll, I'll be a happy guy. Do you have a, a minute or two to run down like the top five values that you see across most of the, the archetypes or just most of the population? Yeah. You know what, if we go back to, if we look at the teal dots here, they're a little bit mixed up because the workaholics is the one that we're using as a baseline. And then we're comparing that back and forth. But if you look at which of the teal dots is furthest off to the right, you see that it's family. That's pretty consistent in most parts of the world. Uh, family. And then if you look at this, uh, relationships is sort of the next teal dot closest to the, so, sorry, to the right, not to the left. So those are the two that are showing up that, and, and generally around the world, family relationships and belonging are way up near the top of the list. If they're not in the number one or two or three spot, they're pretty freaking close. And I love that as a great way for us to end. Every profile we've done, and again, we've worked with brands that you'd recognize if I started name dropping like crazy all over the world, comparing different kinds of target audiences in different sectors, B2B, B2C, not-for-profit, We've been doing this for five years. We've done probably close to a hundred of these custom studies now for various organizations of various sizes. Always near the top is something to do with how we want to be with each other, how we want to be together. And that's why we, in fact, we pull it out and call it the togetherness cluster. I just think that's probably the most hopeful and wonderful thing that we found with this first ever map of what everybody on the planet cares about is that more than anything, regardless of who we are and where we live, we want to be with each other. And that gives me hope that we're going to come out of this crazy period we've just been through and figure out ways to be together again. And, and it may not all be the same as it was, but that piece will be true. We will be together again in our hotels, in our restaurants, in our bars, in our conferences, our events, in our offices, in our homes, uh, at our parties, with our friends, everywhere. We're going to want to be together and that's going to pull us through this. I do love ending it on that with all the scary information, the negative, the fear mongering out there. I think we can all use some positive information, especially data that supports positivity. So David, thank you so much for your time. This has been fascinating. 
David, thanks for having me and uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Clem. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at Ask Bar Hacks and Instagram at Bar Hacks. Talk to you soon.